Welcome to People's Church radio program. If you find this broadcast to be helpful, please let us know. You can call us at 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com. Good morning. So how many are missing the hour sleep? Yeah, I thought I saw you nodding off back there. Uh, let's, I've always wanted to do this, so let's just find out. Let's do a little poll here. How many uh, here uh, would, you got three choices on this thing. So when it comes to the time change. So how many here would love it to stay uh, daylight savings time all year long? Just raise your hand. Come on, be proud of it. Make a decision. Okay, look around. Look at this. Okay, how many here would like to, it would just stay standard time all year long? Okay, I think we have a winner so far. How many here on the third choice would just like keep changing it? You're the middle people. You're the middle, please everybody. So uh, how many here really don't give a care? All right, just bring it on. Whatever it is, at least I got time, right? You're breathing. I want to talk to you today about uh, taking back clarity in life. Clarity is uh, the basis upon which we make good decisions, and uh, decisions are the sum of our life. Your life right now is the sum of choices that you have made in history, uh, going way back. So they form us, they shape us, they shape our environment, they shape our internals, they shape externals in our life. Decisions are extremely powerful. The power of choice is the greatest gift that God has given you. It's your sovereignty. You have the sovereign ability to say yes or no, or wait, honey, you know. It's sovereign. You can speak a decision. They do shape us big time. Uh, If you went back in time, there's probably a few choices that you would either change or that you didn't make that you would make. And so choice is something that we look to for change in our life, whether, you know, we're in the present or looking at some of our past things. Change is powerful and it happens when we make choices. Change for the good depends on the quality of your choice and what you do with that. So we're going to talk about taking back clarity. We are going to talk about the simple gospel today and uh, the power of that at your core because there are certain choices we make in life that uh, if they they are core to who you are, an understanding of you, your universe, your meaning, your purpose, and how you make those choices, what choices you make on that. Uh, really become a huge lens and filter through which you begin to make all other choices. So we're going to take a look at that. Uh, There was a man in Mark 10 that we're going to start with. He came to Jesus with a great question. It was a really, really good question. But it was a question that he had been holding on to and uh, really wanted an answer for it. This is a public exchange. This is not a private exchange. It's in the public square where this question is broached to Jesus. And the question is straight up like this. Let's just read it. As Jesus continued down the road, a man ran up, knelt before him and asked, there's the question, good teacher, what must I do to obtain eternal life? Interesting. 
He's looking for data. This is a data question. This is a f- looking for facts, looking for just a list. It's a list question, like give me the formula, give me the list, give me the, the, the things that are missing on my particular list, give me data. And it's, it's, it's just a simple data question. What must I do? What must I do to obtain eternal life? Jesus' response is kind of interesting. He almost seems to evade the question at first or go a side channel, but really, no, he's doing something really important here. This man in this question was missing out half of the story, as you'll see as we go forward here. So he, Jesus replied, and he said, why do you call me good? No one is good except the, except the one God. The man doesn't realize it, but in that moment, he already had his answer right there. Jesus didn't have to say another word. If the man had spiritual insight, if he had a heart that was open and not blocked or blinded by certain things, which we'll see he did have some blindnesses in his life, he could have seen the answer right within Christ's own question back to him, because Jesus asked him not a question, of data, it is a probing question to this man about what he sees, what he believes. Then Jesus continues with it to go to the data and he answers his data question this way. You know the commandments, don't commit murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, don't cheat, honor your father and your mother. Teacher, he responded, I've kept all of these since I was a boy. Now, it's really interesting that he gives him five commandments in response. How many know there's more than five commandments? He gives him five, but how many commandments are there? So he didn't give him the other five. So here's what you have to understand about these commandments. The five that he gave him are grouped as the commandments that are about relationship between us, between people. The other five commandments that he did not give him have to do with his relationship with God. So he goes out to this guy's strong point on the human scale and he says, obey these commandments. And the guy responds, hey, I've done that. That's how I've treated other people. Jesus looked at him carefully and loved him. He said, you are lacking one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But the man was dismayed at this statement. Dismayed, interesting. More or less, he totally left field for him. This came, he's an educated, smart guy. And this got him coming from a doorway he did not expect that he had some blindness to. And it completely dismays him. This is not what he was expecting at all. Story continues. But the man was dismayed at this statement and went away saddened. 
decision. Decision point right there. He went away saddened because he had many possessions. Looking around, Jesus said to his disciples, it will be very hard for the wealthy to enter God's kingdom. His words startled the disciples. Not only is this man dismayed, but the disciples are startled by Jesus' ongoing teaching about this process of choice and decision and things that can get in the way. His words startled the disciples, so Jesus told them again, children, it's difficult to enter God's kingdom. It's easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter God's kingdom. Now, let me qualify that for a minute. He's not saying rich people can't go to heaven. He's talking about, he, in fact, in the original languages, this would be uh, the rich. The rich find it harder that they are going, they're on the road, but it's a harder road. And the reason is because material possessions have a way of possessing us, not us possessing them. And there's a hard to give up. By the way, did you know by the measurement of the world that you're in the top 5% of wealth? Jesus looked at them carefully and said, they said, well, who can be saved? They were shocked even more. Who can be saved? Jesus looked at them carefully and said, it's impossible with human beings, but not with God. All things are possible for God. Peter said to him, look, we've left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, I assure you that anyone who has left house, brother, sister, mother, father, children, or farms because of me and because of the good news will receive 100 times as much now in this life, houses, brothers, sisters, mother, children, and farms with harassment and in the coming age, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. He gives this process actually here for for decisions. We're gonna focus on that process to start with, but every decision is a divider. We already divided you up today. We got you in three categories. We got you in a category that says, we want daylight saving time. We haven't got you in a category. We want it standard. And then there's those are, just change it up. And then there's some undefinable bunch of you that just says, whatever. So I guess we got four categories. That's a division point. You made a decision about your preference. A simple little thing. It's not gonna cause a war, I hope. But what it does is illustrate is how important decisions and choices are in our life. So here's how you go through a process of making some great decisions. Let me give you four steps in making tough decisions. Tough decisions in life all the time. Have you noticed that? Finances are stretched to the point of breaking. Tough decisions need to be made. Relationships, tough decisions to be made. Tough decisions around aging parents. Tough decisions, you know, around uh, uh, moves and choices like that. Just life choices. It is tough decisions coming our way all of the time. So let me give you four things. I think we've already, uh, I've already got some blanks there for you. So the first is you question. This is data. This is where this rich young guy got it right. He just got it right. He was questioning, looking for data. And in looking for the data, he was just saying, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He was looking at the data point and saying, I want to know where my blanks are. Fill them in. I want to get this done. 
Jesus came and he, this man questioned the facts, but Jesus threw the question, why do you call me good bat? And he's teaching him to question himself. You don't just question for facts, you question yourself. This man had not sorted out why necessarily this was so important to him because the values question of what would mean the most to him when he came to the big challenge of Jesus that says, leave this stuff and come on the greatest adventure of your life. He couldn't do it. He hadn't questioned why. Why do I want this? Why is this so important to me that I'm going to run, fall on my knees, and ask him this question about what do I need for eternal life? Questioning ourselves is figuring out a lot of the layers in behind. What is really important to us? It's like a values question. What is the most important values really? When you start getting more rounded in your questions, you're gonna get rounded in your answers. You're going, to ha- you're going to have better results. You must question facts. You must question for facts, but you make sure you're questioning yourself. Why do you call me good? What's behind this question and why are you asking me? Why do I want to ask Jesus this question? Why are you here in church today? Why did you make the decision in your family that you did? Why are you making the decisions right now that are pretty strong, important decisions? Why are you doing that? What is it behind the data? Questioning the facts isn't enough. That's just purely rationalistic. And the fact is, that's not how we necessarily make all of our decisions. All the data in the world won't help unless you take a hard look at yourself sometimes. This man, if he had taken a look at himself, he would have spotted two major obstacles or roadblocks that, were, that had kept him from seeing what he was missing. He was good on five commandments. He looked at it and he had worked the half measures his whole life. But he had missed out on the other half because he had two blocks. And the two blocks was that he was religious and he was rich. Those two things are the things that would be holding him back from a choice that would release the greatest potentials, the greatest uh, adventure that he could possibly be invited on. The Center for Decision Research in Chicago did a study on different things that block our thinking when it comes to making good decisions. One of of them is something they call strategic anchoring. It's an interesting term, strategic anchoring. What it means is that when you make decisions, you tend to see everything in the present and in the future based on your experiences in the past. So it's called, you're anchored. You're strategically anchored to these experiences in the past and it's through them that you, that lens, you are making all of your decisions right now in the present and for the future. In the man's case that came to Jesus, he had the five commandments he had kept, kept him from seeing the five commandments he hadn't kept. The funny thing was, intuitively, He knew the list was short. 
intuitively, he knew there was something he was missing. Another block was that he was rich. Just one question on that previous point. What is it in your life that's blinding you to the possibilities of the moment you're in right now? What is blinding you to the possibilities in that relational moment right now? What is blocking you to the possibilities in that financial moment right now? What is blocking you right now in the possibilities of this relationship with God moment that you have right now? What is blocking you? Tradition, heritage, uh, what is it? Is it a religious type component like that? Is it some kind of experience in the past that you're looking through the lens at in today's choice and choosing that you are anchored back and you're using that to interpret all the possibilities right now of the present and the future? So another block was that this guy was rich. Okay, how many have ever really thought about their riches as being a block? Be honest. Anybody? Yeah, I doubt it if you have much. Because most of the time, We see riches not as a block, but as a release. If I just had more, then we look to riches, don't just think of them just as money. We look to riches as a release. Do you believe in the riches of health? Do you think you have riches of health? Okay, some of you that don't have all of the health you would like know right now that health is a richness. And yet, it is that richest health that might be actually standing in the way of the best that God wants to do in your life. And that is so strange to the worldly thinking. Because For God to work in your life, there must be no blocks. You've got to be in touch with the whole moment of time and what is being presented to you. How many stories and testimonies have you listened to that through the loss of something, they have gained much more? I lost the riches of health, but I gained I lost the riches, you know, of my economics, but I gained. We can gain through things that block us that we wouldn't think are blocks. Now, in the original new language of the New Testament, this word rich is important to understand, as I've mentioned. It, it, literally, the words are, it's tougher for them as they're getting into the kingdom of God. It's just tougher for them. They're getting it, but it's just a little bit harder on the way. Why? Simply because it has a hold of them because they have a hold of their riches. So it's harder. He's just saying, he doesn't say it can't be done. He doesn't say it isn't being done. In fact, the, the, the original would say it is being done. They're getting there, but it's just a harder journey. This guy had these blocks so that He was really comfortable looking at only one side of the ledger, the five, and evaluating and saying, wow, I've obeyed these since I was a boy. Notice there was no hesitation. He didn't say, well, let me just take a moment and think about this. He was just like, oh, I've obeyed all those since I was a boy. 
Jesus put all of the other five in the challenge. The five that are pertaining to the man's personal relationship to God. He put them all in his question when he said, why do you call me good? Because there's only one who's good and that's God. Now he was right to call him good. He was absolutely accurate to do so. But he's asking him to get to him to ask that question of himself. Rich man, ask yourself this question. Young man, ask yourself this question. Why are you calling me good? Why are you coming to me? He put all the other five in that one question. The second part of good decision making is you consider. He says one thing you lack. He says there's, there, there's, there's just one thing you lack. I've kept all these, this guy says, and he says you are lacking one thing. You got one side of the ledger. It's not good enough. You're lacking one thing. You see, your heart and God's heart are still very disconnected. Because your heart is owned by these things and this other five that we did not bring up except in this question of why do you call me good? Uh, this, these other five have to do with your relationship with God. One thing you lacked. Go sell what you own. Give the money to the poor, then you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. All the other five commandments are wrapped up within that challenge. Have no other God before me. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. See, God first. Honor, worship Him. Not money, not your possessions. Young man, here's the other five in this question. This is a question you should have been asking yourself, but I'm asking it of you. Why are you doing this? Why are you asking me? Consider this one thing. Jesus' challenge to him was absolutely radical when it came to how we think That's why we look at that. We want to make sure we put qualifiers around the statement of get rid of it all and come follow me. It's really a challenge to put God first. That's it. It's just saying put God first. That was his big issue. Immediately this guy's response astounds me. Because again, he doesn't argue, he doesn't, he doesn't in any way say, oh, you're, what you're asking, that's wrong of you to even ask that. He doesn't say anything like that. It was not a trick question. It would have required unthinkable, radical change for this man. Jesus was offering this guy the chance of a lifetime. Decision-making experts, I'm not sure what they look like, but here's what they say. That there's something called framing. It's an important part of decision-making process. The reason sometimes we can't make the tough decisions, and this, 
this young guy was put in a tough decision point right there is because our frame has gotten so small that we can't see the possibility over here or over there. They did a study. They took two sets of management trainees. In two, they, they put them in two separate rooms right next to each other. Literally, there one group of management trainees in this room, other group in this room. In one room, they asked the trainees this question. Would you recommend that your company involve themselves in this project? They went through the whole project with them, and then at the end they said, this project has an 80% chance of success. They voted overwhelmingly. Yes, we should get involved with this process. In the very next room, they looked at the very same project, went through all of the very same information, and at the end of that, they said to them, we want you to understand this project has a 20% chance of failure. Yeah, you got it. Guess what they voted? No. Overwhelmingly, don't do it. That's framing. They didn't change any of the data. They just took the same data and they went at it from one end. It says 80% chance of success, the other end 20% chance of failure. Two words. We're framing all the time. This young man was framing. He looked at it, he was being presented with this amazing opportunity in life to follow Jesus in this circle, be released into the planet with the good news of Jesus, and he backs away from it because of what wealth has in his life, the position that it has. He doesn't, he doesn't want to do the change. He doesn't want radical change in this. He wants to maintain the wealth. He could only see like this. He is missing all of these possibilities. Imagine what this young guy missed out on. The ability to frame things. Jesus says, go sell everything you have. He could have seen that as an opportunity. The challenge of a lifetime. He missed it. How are you looking at life? If you're going to take back clarity, you got to be clear about these things. This young man was fuzzy. He was only clear on half of the story. He wasn't clear on his own heart. He hadn't asked himself the tough questions. Why do I want this? Why am I doing this? What is it that I want to achieve truly in life? What is it that's going to measure my life at the end of my life? He wasn't clear on the big questions. Third, you hope. Hope in decision-making, in quality decision-making is absolutely critical. If you have no hope, you're, you're horrible at decisions. You're already on the fatalistic side. You're already on the, you already have your answers before the questions. Jesus looked at his disciples when they were astounded by his statement that, you know, the rich, they got a hard road coming. 
And he said to, they, they said, how in the world can anybody then be saved? And, he got, and Jesus said, with man it's impossible, but all things are possible with God. He says, yeah. We look at it in this world, how would anybody ever follow Jesus that radically? To put him absolutely first. And whenever he was challenging for our heart, he would say, dismiss that. Hope is the idea of opportunities. There is such opportunity in what this guy had. But there's always hope. When we, even when we've made wrong decisions, even when we've walked away from decision moments and we didn't do so well with it, even when we've lost the wrestling match with our hearts for other things other than God. I mean, when we have, have not done well in that, we still stand in moments of opportunity because with God, these things are possible. He can shape your heart. He can change your heart. He can work in your heart. Somebody once said this, gentlemen, we're surrounded by insurmountable opportunities. You want to be a great decision maker, you got to have hope working in your life. But wherever you're not having hope, you're, as I said, answering questions you're not even asking yet. A healthy sense of the impossible in the challenges of life is the beginning of opportunities for the greatest of things. This young man stood at a threshold of an adventure of world change for the kingdom of God to carry the message of Christ that will change lands and homes and lives. There's two parts of impossible situations and it, to make it healthy. One is to recognize God for who he really is and to recognize yourself. The tough decisions in life must have that balance. I recognize my strengths and my weaknesses and I recognize God for who he really is. Is he really in this place in my life? Is he really the Lord of my life? These are not easy decisions. They're worked out in a, in a daily basis. These are decisions that you and I are doing all of the time. Then finally, in this process is the word you do. Then come follow me. Jesus said to this man, This man then at that point in time gets very sad. He just has this emotion that takes over. And let me just read it one more time for you. But the man was dismayed at this statement. In other versions, he was saddened and went away saddened because he had many possessions. He doesn't argue he doesn't even verbalize a decision he just does he made his decision this is where your culminating decisions 
that either you have looked at your heart, clarified what you want, know what that, know what that looks like, and you're willing to pay the cost for it, or you say, I don't want to pay that cost. I don't want to pay the cost for that kind of relationship. I don't want to pay the cost for that kind of faith. I don't want to pay the cost for that kind of, you know, uh, overcoming of that mountain that I'm up against on this. I don't want to pay. You know, that's what this young man was basically saying. He walked away dismayed and saddened. Two things make decisions. One is where you actually make the decision. But then there's people that say, well, I'm just not going to make a decision. No decision is a decision. When you decide, I'm not going to make a decision right now about what this relationship needs, you know, with my wife or husband or my kids or my parents or my friends or whatever. When we basically are saying, I'm not going to make that, you've made a decision. You've made that decision. Why is all of this on decisions so incredibly important? Because your life today consists of your decisions. And your life right now and into the future will consist on your decisions. And the most important decision of your life is found in John 3, 16 through 18. It's the same decision that this rich young man was confronted with, that he came with. You know the scripture. In the King James Version, it goes like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's what God has done. And in there we have decision. For God sent not a son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This was God's intention. That was Jesus' intention for this young man. He that believeth on him, look at these decision points. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of of the only begotten son. Now just for a little different slant, let me read it to you in the message version. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why, so that no one need be destroyed by believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. Anyone who trusts in him is acquitted. Anyone who refuses to trust him has long since been under the death sentence without knowing it. And why? Because of that person's failure to believe. That's choice, that's decision, that's your sovereignty. In the one of a kind son of God, when introduced to him. He's saying, this decision will divide. It's gonna put people on this side and on this side. They have the sovereign will to make this decision. It's a decision in response to what Christ has done and who Christ is. It's, 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 I, I want to say simple in its data, but as that young man found, in its implementation, totally life engaging. So there's going to be two groups. 
those that believe and those that do not believe. The Lord sees the world pretty simply in that regard. Even though he walks in all of the complexities of each individual heart and question. It all comes down to one result at the end. The end of your sovereignty. The end of time. Whatever. There's division. Those who believe and those that don't believe. On one key point. I did a little exercise with the staff this week. It was at the end of a staff meeting and I, I just took some time and I, and I said, okay, let me give you a scenario and tell me what you would do in that scenario. I said, someone that you love, and this is a Christian faith scenario, someone from your family, you know, potentially, but you really love and care about their decisions, you care about their eternity, you care about their soul. Let's put it into a two-minute window. And you know that in two minutes from now, they're passing on. What do you do? What do you say? You don't have time to read the Gospel of John. Would you agree with that? It'd be like... You don't have time to go all the, through the, all the theological steps and two-minute window. We had quite an interesting response and talk time on that. But what about you? Two-minute window. Maybe for your own soul. You know, there's believing and then there's believing. You know, like, if you were on a, a ship, let's make it a, an old-time sailing ship. Let's go to one of those. Because I sometimes fantasize about, you know, being on one of those in the open sea and the lanterns burning in the back of the captain's quarters and I am in the captain's quarters manning my own ship. There we go. Yes, you're not there. <laughs> Let's put you into a scenario like that. You know, wherever there's a crew and a captain on a ship like that, the crew can believe on the captain, meaning this. They're in the crew. They're even on the ship. But then you hear that, oh, I don't like that decision of the captain's, and I don't like that captain's decision, and I don't like that captain. You know, there's often a way that it can appear within faith circles in Christ. But I don't like what his decision is here, or what he says here, or what he requires there. I don't like his teaching there. I love his teaching here. That's what this young man was doing, was selective. He believed on God. He believed on Jesus. His problem was believing in. Because there's a difference. See, when you believe in Jesus, it's like being that, a part of that crew on that, 
and, and no matter what, you, you don't understand the captain's decisions. You don't understand why you don't get all of the story. You, nothing gets passed through all your filters for your approval. Instead, you're just trusting him. That's a different form of belief. Believing in you don't want to just have a belief on Jesus. Oh, yeah, I believe he was the son of God. Oh, yeah, I believe he died on the cross. Oh, yeah, I believe he resurrected. That's good. That's, that's fantastic. But you can be exactly where that young man was. Believing in means I'm trusting. And if he challenges me with a hard challenge that is, is something, you know, in my life to let go of, so that I can be on the great adventure. I need to let go of, and sometimes it's negative things like bitternesses for, and, and, and resentments and things like that, or, or, or regrets, or you know, whatever, letting go of, and even the, what is considered your strengths to let go of, to let go of because you trust in the captain. That's the faith we're being introduced to in John here. Two minutes. Billy Graham had a magazine, it still exists. It was simply called, here was the, here was the magazine he sent out for decades upon decades upon decades. I think his ministry started in the late 40s. But it just, the organization still turns out this magazine. What, do you know what the magazine's called? What's it called? Decision. Just decision. The Decision Magazine. At every crusade, he stands up, and what is the whole thing about? What is all the prayer about? What is all the churches putting their big effort in all about? What's it about? It's about decision. Just a decision. There's two parts to this I want to leave you with today. One is your decision. Have you made that decision to believe in Jesus or are you one of those believing on Jesus ones? Next decision I want to leave you with. Are you engaged in the most important decision-making process in the entire world from time immemorial, are you involved in it? The decisions made by people for their soul. You have two minutes now, okay, you wind it up. Finally, at the end of that little exercise, I said to the staff, it's actually all that, you, all that you have time for is something like this. You only have time to say there's a decision to be made right now. We don't have time to go through everything. I think you probably have enough data anyway. And so let's not go and try and add to data. It's now time for the decision. Just like this young man came. It's now time for a decision. You need to make a decision. And if you don't make a decision, you made a decision. Will you decide to put your faith in Christ? Because you need to do that now. Because your whole eternity rests on this.
If you've never done that and you're here today, your belief is more on than in. You have to make a decision. So we're going to bow our heads and I would love for you to make a decision today. Get clarity on life so that the best things can be released in your life. The greatest adventures, the best quality of life when it comes to meaning and purpose can be released. Relationships built Let's stand together and have a prayer together, all right? Father, as we bow our heads just before you in this moment, it's a decision moment. We have so many of them, Lord. We we make hundreds of them every day, actually. What we'll watch, what we'll eat, what we're gonna do, Lord, with our time and our energies. We do so much decision-making. It's crazy. And yet, we can be so blind to the biggest part. And maybe today, Lord, you came at us from the side and you have spoken to our hearts and you have brought us to a point of decision where, Lord, we can now, with clarity, respond to the challenge. And I pray, Lord, that there will not be this turn and walk away sad. Because if we truly believe on you, Jesus, we must then truly believe in you. And when you bring us to these challenge points, Lord, to yield our life, surrender our lives, whether we are surrendering our lives to you, Lord, in in, in our very first moment of salvation or whether we are surrendering our lives, Lord, to you in growth the maturity and letting go of things that bind us and hold us up. Lord, whatever it is, I pray in this moment of decision that we will not turn and walk away sad, but we will respond to you and say, I am scared even. I don't know what this all means. I don't understand it, but if you say drop the nets and follow you, I'm gonna do it. If you say give this away, I'm going to do it. If you say leave the tax tables uh, and come and follow me, I will do it. If you raise me up from being against to being for like Paul, Lord, I then, then do it. I just am not walking away anymore from a decision moment and so if you've never received Christ first decision point is for you open your heart make a decision you're either going to believe in him or it's just going to be on you know I don't mind being on the ship but this trust thing yield and surrender your life and receive Jesus Christ fully Don't live behind blind spots. Don't be caught in the strategic anchoring of yesterday. Here's a little prayer for you. Father, I acknowledge that I am a sinner. I acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 
I acknowledge that he came and died for my personal sins. I acknowledge that that was my punishment he took. I acknowledge that through that, I get mercy because he took my penalty. So I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior and as my Lord. I believe he has risen from the dead and that now he lives in his church, in his people, and I choose to be one of his people. I will follow him. In your name I pray. Now for those of us that are believers, you have decision moments all the time. You got blind spots. Maybe today a few have showed up. Make some decision. You know where you have backed away from the challenge of the Lord in your life. And he's saying, you let this go or you come follow me right now here. We're going this way, not the way you want to go. You follow me here. No matter what it is, get back to this why. Stand at that why and hear his call down the one place he wants you to go and go with him. Make the decision. Surrender to him afresh. You do that in the quietness of your own heart. Father, as we participate in communion today, we participate in knowing that, Lord, you put it all in. You love us, but that that it can't even be measured. And we thank you for it. We thank you for what we're gonna celebrate in the table of the Lord in the close of the service. And we dedicate ourselves to live a life that is worthy of the price that you paid. So bless these emblems and bless this time of surrender and decision. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to our program. If you find this broadcast to be helpful, please let us know. You can call us at 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.